This is the Mix Zone by Infront Lab. We chat with sports and innovation leaders from around the globe, talking about everything from the newest technologies to major trends affecting our industry. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, we're Infront Lab, the digital and tech branch of Infront Sports and Media. At the lab, we put fans first and use technology to improve experiences by helping rights owners meet their fans at all touch points along their individual journeys. We work with all sports-related industries, from data to content and everything in between. I'm Marav Severe, head of B2B marketing at Infront Lab and host of this podcast. Web 3.0 and NFTs have been the buzzwords around the sports world for a bit of time now. The successes, the failures, we've all followed the highs and lows closely, trying to understand this still fairly new part of our business, how it's going to develop and how we can dip our toes in it as well and do so successfully. We have a lot to learn, and in order to do so, not just as individuals, but as a business as a whole, we're joined by Petrit Barisha podcaster extraordinaire, founder and author of the highly recommended sporting crypto newsletter, and NFT and blockchain expert. Petrit, thank you very much for being with us. Thanks very much for having me. I definitely wouldn't call myself an expert, by the way. Uh, I, I have been in and around the crypto sphere for about five years now, but I think everyone still feels like they're, they're learning a lot every day, right? <laughs> I was about to say, I think even the experts of the Web 3.0 and NFT world today are Experts in training, we'll call them that. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's probably right. So we'll go with that term, expert in training, Petrit Barisha. So Petrit, before you said you're in this world for about five years. Uh, so tell us a bit about yourself, how you became involved in this world of blockchain and NFT and Web 3.0 and connecting them specifically to the world of sports, because not everyone is doing that. Yeah, so I, I mean, I've always been a big sports fan, like massive football fan in my in my youth. Um, always also uh, trained in martial arts and karate, and uh, you know played a bunch of sport at school um, in 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 London growing up. In kind of 2017, I joined a, a small boutique financial consultancy who ran a podcast called Blockchain Insider. And uh, I joined as as an intern, like a twenty person organization, and quickly found myself producing that podcast. So that's actually where I kind of started my podcast life, as well as the the kind of crypto life. And it all comes yeah, back to that one moment. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I just kind of fell into it, and I produced that show for about a hundred episodes. So from kind of episodes. I think 10, 15, I need to go back and check, to about 125, 130. Um, we did live shows around the world in Amsterdam, New York. And yeah, that was very much my kind of introduction and kind of education in, in the crypto sphere. I was very, very fortunate to, to kind of get that much kind of ear to the ground access as well. We interviewed Vitalik mm-hmm. Buterin, um, Joe Lubin, a uh, bunch of other amazing people in the space uh, in London, but also globally. And so it was, it was really nice for me to, to kind of get that grounding and understanding of the world um, so firsthand, really. And I'd also done a bit of corporate sports stuff accidentally uh, for the same financial consultancy. At How class. do you do that accidentally? Uh, well, I mean, it might be for another podcast, but a, a colleague, <laughs> a couple of colleagues and myself started something called the the FinTech Football League, which was like a, a soccer league for fintechs in London. And um, we made a couple of kind of 
spoof announcement videos, me, my colleague and, and the kind of videographer, uh, another colleague. And uh, we kind of made these these videos of the league launching and we put them on, on Twitter and LinkedIn and they went pretty viral, like it, within the fintech community. I mean, not, not viral kind of in the, in the world, but they got, you know, tens of thousands of views on, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And all of a sudden we had like loads of these kind of financial services companies trying to join the league. And then we ended up getting loads of sponsor requests as well. And, and a couple of those sponsors ended up being MasterCard and Google Cloud. So it was, yeah, it was really bizarre. We ended up, yeah, yeah, it made it big. And uh, it was just like such a bizarre, wonderful and weird thing. Um, COVID kind of uh, put an end to that. But we had two really, really amazing seasons. And yeah, who knows what it would have become by now. Uh, but I, I kind of had that football experience. I did some football podcasting in my in my spare time as well. Um, was always like massively into kind of football content on you know YouTube and and podcasts and and stuff like that. Watched a bunch of you know I, I was into it, the NBA as well, so I was you know watching a lot of the the kind of NBA coverage on on YouTube because obviously the time difference. And so yeah, kind of had this like big crypto background and big sports enthusiast background, but also done some kind of corporate uh, sports stuff as well. And then. In kind of 2020 and 21, I uh, did a bunch of freelance uh, contractor work within kind of predominantly FS and, and crypto on the production side. So produced a bunch of podcasts for consultancies and banks and so on and so forth. And then as the year in 2020 went on, I got more and more kind of calls, messages about kind of crypto stuff. And I was like, oh, well, you know, yeah, like my network's really big in that in that sphere. And, you know, I've been doing some work in, the, in that world as well. And uh, I ended up getting commissioned to do a couple of audio documentaries, one being the, the history and future of NFTs that you can go listen to on nftdocumentary.media. And then another called um, How to Make It in Crypto Media, which was with Junie and Wong, who was one of Coindesk's first journalists and, and founded the Consensus Conference. Um, we, we released that a few weeks ago. Um, but the, the history and future of NFT one was really interesting. We, you know, interviewed people, Gary V, uh, Silly Tuna, Whale Shark, Josie Bellini, um, you know, Sebastian Bourget of of Sandbox and uh, and Duncan Cockfoster, uh, all, all these amazing people. So you've had a lot of touch points around this world for quite some time now. Yeah. Um, and And then at the same time, uh, in mid 2021, I joined Copper 90 uh, for 12 months to kind of help them, help them on on the kind of Web3 side, um, kind of uh, on a part time basis. And then I also started the newsletter at the same time, which has been kind of the, I guess, major inflection point for me on the sports side. I've always liked creating stuff that's quite niche, um, and this grew probably quicker than than anticipated. We're over kind of 2,100 subscribers now. We're read by like all the big global rights holders and quite a lot of the execs within that um and that's also brought a load of consultancy work and advisory work within the, the kind of sports world and also in the crypto industry as well so let's talk about this industry because it's a turbulent one we've seen the highs we've seen the lows of not only web 3.0 but nfts especially in the past couple of months what do you see as the current climate of NFTs in the sports world? I, I That's a very difficult question. So I think um, the reason it's a, it's a difficult question is because there's a lot of 
subsections within crypto and then a lot of subsections within NFT, NFTs. So I think the the NFT sphere as a whole is obviously a derivative of, of crypto and crypto is going through a difficult time, as is a lot of like tech more broadly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you look at most tech stocks across the board and you look at a lot of crypto, like a lot of them marry up. And then if you look at a lot of the NFT volumes, they've gone down significantly. But if you actually look at them in isolation compared to, say, 2019, the the, the, the NFT volumes are still really high. Um, on a month-to-month basis in 2022 mm-hmm. compared to 2019. So I guess if you're taking kind of a, a long-term view, uh, it, it's come a long way and it's doing quite well. I think that although the climate hasn't been good in the last six months, there has been things that have happened in the last six months that are bigger than the previous 12. So I'll try and explain that in a, in a kind of simplistic way. So in the same week that FTX went bankrupt, who are like the second biggest or third biggest crypto exchange at the time. But like in the same week that happened, they were one of the biggest sports sponsors and, you know, clearly donors and sponsors of other uh, things as well in the world, including political parties. Nike launched Web3 platform. So they basically launched an NFT platform, mm-hmm. right? And that's Nike. Um, and then two months prior to that, Reddit's NFT sold out. Reddit have basically created 3 million wallets since the summer uh, or since last summer um, on their own platform. Um, And they've sold hundreds of thousands of NFTs and done extremely well. So I actually think some of the things that have happened over the last 12 months, although the... Although the although the climate has been worse, some of the events that have happened in a positive sense are bigger. And actually, these are things that the consumers just want. Like the Reddit avatar NFTs, like people want avatars that they can showcase on their mm-hmm. profile, that they can also trade with their friends and people online. Like, it, it, you know, this is just product market fit. It's back to the trading cards, the, the cards that we used to play with as kids where we actually traded them physically. It's just, you know, a new version of them, a new digital version I, of them. I'd say yes and no. Like, I think in that, the sense of how... Yeah, I, I, I think I, I agree with you. It's kind of like, you know, trading, collecting marbles, but also there's something different about, like, suddenly turning the tap on for having something that you showcase as your digital profile. Um to then being able to trade that. And I think that's been a powerful change. You mentioned, obviously, consumers really wanting NFTs and they became popular around sports fans fairly quickly. Why do you think it is that sports fans connected to this concept of NFTs in Web3 in such a fast manner? Well, I think the onboarding experience for NBA Top Shot and things like So Rare have been really simple. Like you don't need to be a crypto expert to kind of join them. And they also use, as you said, elements of yesteryear, right? Mm-hmm. So the reason Top Shot did so well and wasn't just this niche thing that only crypto people wanted to use and collect and, and, and trade within was because it was something we already knew, trading cards, as you said but just in another digital form, right? They were just a digital version of that and video instead of static imagery. That's all it was. And that just clicked with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. And that is, yeah, I I think that that is basically why 
same with so rare right fantasy football is really big and trading cards were really big and are really big in the sports world um digital not digital sports memorabilia in general is a really big Still market. draws hundreds of millions of dollars it's, it's a huge market right so yeah I, I think the reason why it's happened in the sports world i think overall unsuccessfully but in specific areas really successfully, especially Top Shot that basically, I think, you know, was one of the reasons we had this kind of NFT hysteria over the last year. They were one of the, the kind of early uh, touch points and early on borders for so many people was because of the simplicity and the kind of, I guess, the familiarity that consumers had with with some of this stuff. You mentioned Nike, Topshot, so rare. Are these in your mind the examples of who has done it correctly since the launch of NFTs? You know, what are the good and the bad that they've done for each? And maybe what others should mimic when they're joining and really getting into this world of NFTs? Yeah, so I, I think to, to kind of give some good examples, that's mainly been from those that I've mentioned um in in dapper and and so rare but also i think nike have done a great job with artifact as, as you mentioned and i i think they're going to continue to do some amazing things as well i think speaking a little laterally i really like what um you know a really recent example one that i wrote about um yesterday in my newsletter was um the a project called Love by the ATP. Mm-hmm. So they launched something in collaboration with Artblocks and a fairly famous artist called um, Martin Grasser. And that was really interesting. They were using like in-game tennis data to create generative art that people can can buy. Um, and obviously that's for a very specific kind of affluent tennis audience as well as kind of some crypto enthusiasts and art enthusiasts. And you've recently mentioned in one of your newsletters the the master of movement that Visa is doing, also using generative art, but doing so maybe more to the people when we're talking about the World Cup that was going on. Yeah, and actually thinking about that, I should have probably referenced that in my uh, in my newsletter because I think I wrote something like this is quite niche and it's going to have like a small affluent audience. But actually, what I wanted to contrast that with was um, something that uh, an esports team, Hundred Thieves, did. Right. So 100 Thieves, big esports audio organization worth a ton of money. They had a, uh, oh, I forgot the game because I'm not a huge gamer. They had a, a, a tournament that they won and their CEO gave each of the tournament winners a necklace. And that necklace was then created as an NFT by, I forgot what Web3 Studio. And it was an open edition. It was free to, free to claim. And actually, 100 Thieves uh, covered the transfer fee as well. So it was completely free. And there was they were taking no secondary on the market because they didn't want it to be like traded. They, they didn't care about the trading of it. And mm-hmm. about 700,000 wallets claimed it. So if you think about like there's only 3 million individual wallets or whatever on OpenSea trading NFTs, 700,000 is a big, big number. I thought that was pretty interesting. We're talking a lot about the good examples here, but obviously we've seen some of the bad examples as well. Why is it that you think that some have tried and failed? What are they doing correctly along the way? Oh, could be another podcast in itself. <laughs> could be in several podcasts. I think, so I'll give a specific example first and then try and broaden it out to the kind of themes that I've seen. So uh, Liverpool did some NFTs that went down fairly badly and 
I don't think anything's really happened with them. But they dropped about, they tried to drop out 170,000 of these and only sold about 9,000. Um, but there was a bunch wrong with it. They they used um, Sotheby's, Met, uh, Sotheby's Metaverse and, you know, Liverpool was seen as this kind of working man's club. Mm-hmm. Um, they created these like cartoon caricatures of the players and the manager and like, the one thing that people in football or football fans hate is this kind of like idea of like a cartoon selling four hundred thousand dollars <laughs> because they just don't understand like why board apes and crypto punks like have value. I still have people ask me that constantly from within the sports world as well. Like why Liverpool would ever think, oh, do you know what we'll do? We'll create kind of similar artwork. <laughs> and and that that's gonna what's gonna resonate with football fans. I just I, I just thought it was pretty pretty nuts and look like in isolation they sold nine point seven thousand of them which is fairly good. Um, I know a couple of people that bought them that were football fans that just wanted to see what NFTs were and how they worked. The issue was they didn't they then promised all this stuff that obviously didn't happen because you've mm-hmm. kind of you know earmarked having this much revenue by selling one hundred seventy thousand of them and and only nine thousand three hundred people buy them you end up kind of dwindling into nothing. But the issue is there's 9,700 or whatever people have still bought those things for $40 each and they still expect to have a community. They still expect to be part of this like membership club. Just never happened, uh, which is really, really issue. It's tough to uphold when it's such a small number, but it's still being expected to do so. Exactly. It's like... um, it's like buying a book and there being no no words in it, right? Really, that's kind of what's happened, which is an issue. Um, so I think broadly speaking, uh, sports brands haven't really understood this world that well. They've overcomplicated things. They've probably been a little bit too arrogant. Um, and they've also sold these up as almost sponsorship packages and, and rights like I, I think that they've really not understood this stuff and and the things that have looked more polished i think have lacked an actual understanding of the sports industry i think they've probably worked with consultancies that are very in the weeds on the web3 side of things that are really good at what they do but then when they deliver something it's kind of not as uh yeah it's it's not as not as good as you'd hope um because football fans just don't resonate Thanks. with it it doesn't meet expectations. Yeah. Now, if we're taking a look at this industry as a whole in terms of prospects of what we could be doing, what excites you the most with NFTs, Web3 and the sports world? What excites me the most? Um, it's it's an interesting question. I think the, the reality of it is we don't really have that much product market fit within the sports world for Web3. I think that, that there's a few things that really excite me laterally. So the stuff that Reddit's done, I think is really, really interesting. That kind of that element of customization with NFTs. I still think video moments um, are going to be a, a big thing for a long time just because people love collecting and they love um, they, they, they love the kind of uh, digital version of trading cards. I think the membership side of things is really interesting. So as well, what Starbucks end up doing with Polygon and their kind of Web3 membership thing. Um, there's rumors that YouTube might be working with Polygon as well around kind of creator NFTs and also membership cards and stuff like that. Uh, not membership cards, but membership programs within YouTube. I think that kind of membership loyalty aspect uh, tokenized on a blockchain, allowing it to be open sourced. And so you can have other people kind of interacting with those tokens could be really, really interesting. And then the kind of 
the 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 co-creation aspect of like what Nike are gonna do is really interesting to me as well. So allowing like uh, your buyers and consumers to help design and create stuff that they also get secondary market re- revenues from, I think is kind of like a game changer to some extent. Um, I think that aspect's really interesting. Um, I think there's there's going to be a bunch of stuff on the free side of things within Stadium. Um, the kind of extension of like broadcasting, I think, is really interesting mm-hmm. as well. So like when VR gets to a level where there's a, like, a new realm to broadcasting sport, how that works, I think, is going to be really interesting. So I think there's a bunch of things to be excited for. I think it's it's still a long way until some of this stuff becomes good enough that all sports fans want it on a regular basis so let's break this down because when we take a look at it you know we have two sides to every story so also when we're talking about sports we have the fans who are purchasing nfts who need to learn more about it to understand it better to understand why we're buying four thousand dollar pieces of art and then we have the sports organizations who want to have a hand in the game and want to become a part of it. So if we bake it down to these two sides, what is it that each should be looking at when they're entering this world of NFTs uh, from purchasing them to creating them? So on the creation side of things, I'd, I'd say like if you're commercially driven only, I think you're going to fail badly. And I think that's why a lot of sports brands have have kind of failed. Um I also think that on the buyer side that like buy what you want to have, like don't buy something because someone else is buying it, blah, blah, all that kind of normal stuff. I think on the consumer side, to be honest with you, a lot of the UI is so bad and a lot of the consumer journeys are so bad that even if it's something that, that, that the consumers want, the kind of uptake that brands expect is probably going to be lower than it actually is because the UI is just so bad. Like I know that FIFA did something really uh, recently where they sold their own moments. And I think they, they sold over a million packs to be, to be fair with you. And they did them at $5 each and the UI and, and user journey was, was fairly simple. And I think that was a big part of why, you know, cause when I was buying one to do some research um, and to be honest with you, I was tempted to buy some more, but uh, I, I don't know why it was just quite fun. But um I remember doing it and being like, oh, I've, I've done that in like three minutes. And I just used Apple Pay and or, or didn't use Apple Pay. Rather, I just you know, filled in my card details, bought it. And, and that was it. Like it was done really quickly. Um, you know, Google remembers my card details and I was off, you know, and uh, it, it was fairly easy. So um, I, 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 I think the kind of consumer side is probably hurt a lot by the lack of user experience and the user interface being so poor and also like the scare that it's scam but also like the security scare as well like you know a lot mm-hmm. of people don't want to have self-sovereign wallets where like you accidentally click the wrong link or you accidentally write down the words that your your kind of seed phrase and you're in, in, online or or something like that and um all of a sudden everything's gone i think there's a there's a few issues there so what do you think needs to be done in order for us to get to that point where fans and users are much more comfortable purchasing NFTs, understanding NFTs better, and where organizations are in a place to properly create NFTs that bring value to their fans and make them want to purchase it? And not like you're saying, create 170,000, only sell 9,000, and then not nourish this community. Well, I also think one of the things that sports brands have done is really massively over-indexed community because 
and not in a bad way, right? Like I think community is great, but a lot of these NFT communities has been brought out of um, a lot of people that are digitally native. They're on computers a lot of the time and they're in Discord a lot of the time, blah, blah. And for some reason, a lot of sports brands have thought that that's what their sports fans want to do because they've seen it in the NFT sphere. And actually, the way you engage with your audience that hold NFTs can be completely different depending on like where those holders come from. Um, like mm-hmm. the way you curate a community of art collectors and people that hold pictures of uh, or own pictures of monkeys is completely different, I think. And I think there needs to be some completely different ideas around like how um sports fans interact with like digital assets there's just not very good infrastructure for like how it's done and i think there could be some really interesting things that could be be done um you know being able to allow for nft holders to have like discounts for a variety of like brands that are linked with um you know nike or a sports team or whatever it may be or like on a game day being allowing nft holders discounts on an uber or a lyft or a mcdonald's or a burger king stuff like that i think there is but but i think the the small things matter less than the actual infrastructure and the ui and the like for example many football clubs have like a range of web3 partners right they Mm -hmm. have fan tokens they have nfts they have blah blah they have blah blah there is no one dashboard or one thing that a fan can go to to access all these to connect between them yeah exactly and i know the premier league's app's not very good but like at least on their app i can look at highlights i can look at the fixtures i can look at the results i can go and play fancy football i think there is that kind of aspect of aggregation missing within kind of crypto very broadly but i think particularly with sports clubs and 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 i think this will change for sure um whether it be app based dashboard based or, or or kind of something else um whereby it's just very convoluted and confusing for the average sports fan and i think that the infrastructural start start side of thing needs a lot of needs a lot of uh, work so if you were to now give your tips to sports organizations who want to take their first steps into this world of NFTs to do it correctly and start it correctly from the beginning and not end up at a dead end and then have to rethink their entire strategy, what tips would you give them? What should they be focused on to start off their journey? Uh, so I'd start off their journey by just being completely patient, not being sold down the river by a lot of people that are promising lots of money. Don't just jump right in because everyone else is doing it. Yeah. Uh, and I think like think of this as an area to invest in rather than to make a lot of money in first and foremost I think I try and frame it to brands that like this could very well be like the next uh the, uh, the next paradigm for like the internet but also like like social media was and in the social media sphere like most sports brands and clubs they teams they don't make money from social media they invest in it through marketing mm-hmm. content etc cetera, etc cetera. and now i'm not saying it's going to be a direct parallel there but i think it's going to be a lot closer to that than you know making loads of money through digital collectibles or, or digital assets i think that's going to be reserved for quite a few brands um like i think there's going to be fewer brands that make lots of money like a, a, a significant amount of money that is like a, a portion of their overall revenue in the web3 space um i think a lot of brands will activate in this way from a purely marketing perspective that helps their their normal revenues in a in a in an indirect way like they do with with social media i don't think like 
you know, I, I don't think that like a, you know, a drinks brand is necessarily going to make like 5% of their revenue in the future through Web3 activities. I, I, I really don't think that's going to be the case. I think they're probably going to indirectly make revenue through activation within the space. It's also just better understanding the value and not setting unreasonable expectations. I've had conversations with people where they've been like, oh, this piece of artwork by Beeple uh, sold for $69 million. Like, how can we do something similar? And it's like, would you ask me that about a Picasso? Like, <laughs> honestly, it's crazy. Like, this this person has made this. It's it, it took him, like, seven years to create that piece of artwork. And it was bought by someone incredibly rich who's, you know, almost a, you know a billionaire because they they bought a bunch of Bitcoin early and they, they own a, a, an array of crypto companies. I, 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 you know, I got I was kind of gobsmacked by that, but that is kind of the level of kind of non understanding that a lot of people these people come into the space with and, and kind of expect that they because they have a lot of followers or their brand has, carries a lot of weight with a certain demographic or in a certain part of the world or in certain social media channels that they can recreate or do exactly the same as that, which is 99.999% of the times, not the case. And a lot of people, like you were saying with the Picasso, it's not a Picasso and it's tough to recreate a Picasso. So choose your own path, but do it correctly as we've been talking about, you know, making sure that you have the right motives, that you understand what you'll achieve from this and that you have your fan in mind. I think a lot of times the fan has also been forgotten. You're selling it to the fan, but the fan isn't at the center of why you're creating this and how you're creating it. Yeah, I, I think that um, the whole ethos of this is having users at the center of something mm -hmm. and building apps and creating things around the user so that the user can port between these applications. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that a lot of sports brands just haven't done much research into like what their fans actually want. And the answer might be that they don't really want anything and you don't have to do anything right now. Um, and I, I do think the sports industry in general seems to only look at what other people in the sports industry are doing. And I don't think there's that many good examples. Um, I think my advice would be to look laterally. Think, look and go and look at what other parts of the world have done successfully, whether it's Reddit, whether it's, you know, Nike, um, you know, obviously they're a sportswear brand, but not they're not a sports franchise or a club. Like a lot of these clubs and rights holders are, are kind of looking at each other rather than looking a bit more laterally, which I think is probably um, a mistake. It's trying to look outside in order to learn. And Petra, if anyone wants to sign up for your newsletter, listen to your podcast, where can they find everything? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A, or my name on LinkedIn. And then the newsletter is sportingcrypto.substack.com. Because everything that we talked about in this podcast that we need seven more podcasts to talk about can be found there, including those examples, like you said, love and the masters of movements from Visa, which I learned from a lot. So thank you for that. And thank you for joining us. We really appreciate having you on the Mix Zone. Thanks so much for having me. That wraps up this episode of the Mix Zone by Infront Lab. I'm Marav Severe. You can find me and the lab on LinkedIn. Don't hesitate to reach out and chat with our team about sports tech solutions or just last night's game. 
Enjoyed the episode? Let us know your thoughts on the podcast and don't forget to rate us. We'll see you next time.